All right, welcome to another episode of the Two Harbors Consulting Podcast. I am George Zach, partner at Two Harbors, and I am uber excited for this episode and the guests that we have on the podcast. If you listen to podcasts in the medical device space at all, then our guest, John Spear, really needs no introduction. He's the president of quality and regulatory and a co-founder at Greenlight Guru. He, though, is also the voice and the host of the Global Medical Device Podcast. And if you are in the medical device field, you have to be listening to this podcast. If you are not, you have to you have to make that a part of your regular activities. It's educational, it's timely, it's informative. And I think it really drives a viewpoint that I know that we share at Two Harbors Consulting, which is really about quality above and beyond regulatory compliance. Uh, it probably goes without saying that John has also been an inspiration to this podcast. Uh, and, and I've told him so in, in the past. And so when he agreed to be on this podcast, I was uh, overjoyed, to, to say the least. We're going to kick around some of his thinking about uh, what we might see in quality and regulatory in the in the next year, in, in, in 2021. But before we jump into that, John, how you doing? George, I, I'm doing really well, and I appreciate those kind words. And as you were uh, sharing that, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when George and I first met. I'm, I'm sure you do, too, right? I certainly do. That was uh, such a surreal moment, at least for me. I, I was at uh, an MDIC event back when we did things in person a few years back, uh, and there was a case for quality update, and, and you were one of the presenters, and and along with a couple of other your case for quality and MDAP uh, colleagues. And you know, I, I asked a question. I don't remember uh, today what the question was. Uh, but there was the time for, for some Q&A and, and I offered my question and you kind of cocked your head in a weird sort of way. I'm like, my goodness, I felt like that was a really thoughtful question. And here's this guy up there, you know, giving me body language that that I just asked something really weird or off the wall or strange. Uh, and then, you know, after you know the session ended, I came up to, to introduce myself. And then you explained while you cocked your head that the voice was familiar to you because you've right. been uh, uh, listening to me on your runs and things. And then that was really bizarre for me, but I'm, I'm glad that, um, you know, that was the beginning of, of our uh, professional relationship and, you know, George friendship, I think too. And, and I always enjoy talking to you. So I'm happy to, to help you out on two harbors podcast today. I, I can tell you that I shared with one person earlier. Uh, well, actually late last week uh, that uh, I was going to have John Spear on the on the podcast, and they said, "Whoa, your quality is really increasing on that podcast." So you're you're just you're just your very presence <laughs> helps quality, John. So, oh my goodness, it, it's it's so you know it's it's bizarre and surreal, and you know I'm I'm at the same time very humble and and happy that you know I can I, I can help uh, you know folks embrace quality. And if there's something I say or a guest that that we have on the Global Medical Device podcast uh, shares that that can help you know make quality cool again um, to borrow uh, or to, to paraphrase a, a pun that's sort of prevalent in your case for quality world and in Kappa then then I'm happy to, to play a small part in that so just thrilled awesome well thank you so much for being on well when, when, when I pitched the idea of you coming on uh, I, I think a couple of years ago I, I saw you write an article where you were making predictions as to what you thought would be happening in the quality yeah. and regulatory space for, for the next year. Now, 
it seemed like a great idea. Now, if 2020 has taught me anything, trying to predict <laughs> what's going to happen in the next dozen months is probably complete folly. But I thought we could have some fun with yeah. hearing what you thought would be happening in that space in in uh, in the next year. Yeah, and and we we've done this for uh, a bit now for the past few years at Greenlight, and you know, folks, I'm not by I don't want you to hear any of this as Nostradamus like predictions by any stretch. It's just you know, trying to see the the tea leaves and what they're telling us, so to speak. But, you know, the other advantage that, you know, folks like George and I happen to have is we, we know that uh, regulatory bodies, even when they're moving super fast, uh, they're still moving at glacial pace. So a lot of this is things that we've seen um, coming now for so- several months, in some cases, years. But I think 2021 is going to be an exciting and interesting year for the medical device industry uh, because of a number of reasons. Yeah. So what, what's the first one that you think that you, we, we should expect to see in the next year? Well, I mean, probably no surprise or shocker. Um, I, I want this to come out as a, a positive statement. So I'm giving a disclaimer. Um, I think COVID has been, a, a, you know, I know it's a, a terrible thing for a lot of people. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to trivialize any of that, but I think for our industry, it's actually been a good thing. Uh, and, and, um, you know, I think we were, you know, May of 2020 came and, or as we were approaching May, 2020, obviously the world was in a state of lockdown. May, 2020 was an important day because EUMDR was supposed to go live at that point in time. And, and frankly speaking, you know, leading up to that, or even, you know, as you know, a year ago, uh, this time, I didn't see that the world, the medical device world was prepared for EUMDR, and and I hope that folks have uh, have realized uh, that they, there's more that needs to be done from an EUMDR perspective. Not just medical device companies, but you know the competent authorities and notified bodies, and, right. and you know the the whole ecosystem. Um, but anyway, that's going to go live in, in May 2021. So that's sort of the first thing that's you know I don't expect that that's going to be delayed any further. Um, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. So, yeah, and, sure. and, and I agree with you because I, I mean, I think I recall around that time frame or maybe shortly before, like you would, you would periodically almost give a, a weather report as to, um, how many, uh, competent, uh, organizations there were to provide, uh, that certification. And it, it like, at, at one point it was like one and then I remember yeah, it, 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 was, crazy. it was, it was two and, and, and just like the entire, the, the entire global readiness was not there. Um, and, and I've wondered actually if it, you know, because we're not at the time of this recording out of the throes of COVID, if we would see a delay. You, and, and you're saying you don't think so. You think because of this year-long delay, we're, we're, we're better prepared and we're not going to see a, like an, a budge on it of even an inch. I don't, I don't think so. Um, and, and here's why. Uh, I think we've seen auditing organizations and, and notified bodies um, that, you know, there was a period of time where everything was on a standstill. Uh, where there were no audits, there were no new, you know, tech file uh, audits or, or 1345 audits. Uh, and, and that was probably happening, you know, from at least from my vantage point for the course of a few months, probably, you know, from March through, you know, May, June-ish timeframe. And then I think we realized, we, the collective industry realized, okay, uh, we, we can't put things on hold indefinitely. Yeah. I mean, there's this, this terrible pandemic that's hit the entire world. Uh, but there are also some really exciting medical technologies 
that are being developed that are not COVID specific, believe it or not, people have other modalities and issues and clinical needs uh, uh, as well. So we can't put this on pause forever because we don't know how long this is going to be. And what I've seen is notified bodies and auditing organizations specifically are starting to, to figure out how to do some of the auditing activities very effectively in a virtual way. Mm. And so, you know, now we've had, you know, let's call it six months or so of practice from a lot of these organizations. And I even learned or or heard about um, FDA was doing a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a formal pilot program, but uh, we'll call it experimenting a little bit with virtual inspections as well. So I think we've realized, okay, there's technology, you know, Zoom and and things uh, of that nature. Uh, and, and I know you have some experience on case for quality side where, you know, we've got to, as best as we can, um, maintain business as usual. So I think because of that, we should expect EUMDR uh, to be a thing and to go live in May 2021. So great. And, and you're kind of alluding a little bit to like another thing that you're predicting to see in uh, 2021, the uh, leveraging of perhaps more virtual techniques by by the agency uh, be, be, as a, a lesson learned from uh, the entire COVID experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was talking to um, um, a couple of folks the other day, and you know, it'll be uh, they were actually from King and Spalding uh, Law Firm, and that's going to be an episode that's going to be live here in the Global Medical Device Podcast soon. Uh, maybe by the time this episode's live, that uh, will already be the case. But they were sharing, you know, some of their sentiments that, um, you know, it's uh, the COVID did, you know, from an FDA side of things, has had uh, an impact on the agency. You know, I think something like 5,000 EUAs had been submitted to FDA or something like that. Wow. And and like 60 or it was like 600 had been granted. So like something like 12% or, or don't quote my numbers exactly, but order of magnitude, pretty similar, um, you know, and, and compare that to like a normal year of like five, 10 Ks and PMAs. It's something on the order of a few thousand, uh, give or take submissions that go in on an annual basis. So even though uh, not all EUAs uh, were approved, you know, somebody still has to review those and it's not like FDA tripled their uh, their workforce to do reviews. It's the same people that were reviewing a normal submissions, 510Ks, PMAs, de novos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, that's created a lot of noise uh, from some respects and, you know, it kind of became an, an, an emergency or all hands on deck to, to divert and reallocate resources to focusing on COVID, rightfully so. Um, but like I said, it, it can't put everything else on standstill. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, ways to, to gain some efficiency are to leverage more virtual uh, and, uh, approaches and, and technology as an advantage. Yep. Yep. Complete. I completely agree. I, I think, though, that there's that <clears throat> there's that balancing point where we're still trying to figure out that it seems like we've learned there's a lot of things that we can do virtually that we just presumed previously that you had to be on site. But there's still. Um, a, a good number of activities that you you have to be in the room or you have to be looking at that manufacturing line or in that clean room that, uh, well, there's certainly going to be a struggle as long as we're dealing with uh, COVID restrictions, be it domestic or, or, or international. Um, 
but it'll be interesting to your to your point it'll be interesting to see how many of those techniques the agency uses um, or even notified bodies when we've been hearing about what they've been doing over the past year how they continue to use those in in the coming year yeah for sure <clears throat> so what about you mentioned uh, I'm a little less clear on it so this is kind of getting a little bit outside the realm of my expertise but do, do you see any the, the I've heard about the IVD uh, the entire regulation in the EU related to IVD. Do you see any delay with that? Um, at this point, I, I, I would say my, I would say no. Um, you know, the signs that I'm uh, reading, observing the conversations that, that I'm having indicate no delay there. Um, now, keep in mind the original uh, date for IVDR to go into effect in, in the EU is May 2022. Mm -hmm. So it's still a year uh, and uh, year, it's called a year and a half or so uh, out from that uh, date um, hitting us. But, um, you know, if you remember too, when both of the EU MDR and IVDR were published at the same time, the EU MDR originally had a three-year adoption period with IVDR having a five-year adoption period. Um, I, I think there's still some quite a few obstacles and hurdles uh, from an IVDR perspective. I mean, that, that year and a half is going to fly by. Right. And m my advice to companies who are in the IVD space, uh, proceed as if that is going to go live, because uh, I think a lot of companies in the med device space um, were uh, approaching this with a, you know, kind of a laissez-faire kind of approach and like almost anticipating that there was going to be a delay. Um, and, you know, and eventually that's what happened, but it wasn't because of anything that any of us could have predicted in our wildest imaginations. It took a global pandemic to cause that delay. Um, you know, certainly by 2022, by the time that, that rolls around, I would expect that, you know, the, the EU and, and notified bodies and, and you know, just the whole ecosystem will be um, much more sophisticated than than the MDR was a year before going live, so to speak. Uh, a lot of these notified bodies are, are you know in the process of pursuing the the appropriate credentials and accreditation to to also pursue IVDR. So I think we'll be in a much better shape from an IVDR perspective. So no, I don't expect that there will be any delays there. All right, we don't we don't get to play the unfortunate COVID card on IVDR. Um, what? Gosh, what, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah, definitely hope not. Um, what other changes or uh, significant shifts in the quality slash regulatory landscape are you expecting to see, John? Well, I mean, I hint, hinted at a little bit with virtual audits and inspections. I mean, like we, you know, Greenlight Guru, we all of our customers are you know either med device or uh, in the IVD space. Um, you know, and, and like I said, there was that period for a few months, uh, you know, March, April, May-ish timeframe where, you know, things were at a screeching halt. Um, but from then until now, uh, things are picking up. I mean, just last week, we, you know, we've, we learned of quite a few customers who are going through, you know, their stage one or stage two, 1345, and it's all virtual uh, tech files and CE marking. So, you know, I, I think we'll see this become... I don't know that it'll become the norm, but I think we'll see it as as more commonplace. Um, and and as I also mentioned, you know, FDA has sort of been dabbling in this. Um, some of the folks that I've chatted with have um, shared with me that virtual inspections is a more common thing from FDA on on the pharma side. Um, and I think they're trying to, to you know to borrow some of those best practices. So. I, 
yeah, I, I would expect that virtual inspections and audits that that'll be more commonplace, certainly than it ever has been uh, in a world prior to COVID. So I, I would expect in throughout 2021 that that'll still be a, a, a pretty, pretty prevalent thing to do virtual inspections. Yeah, I, I, I think I know my thinking has changed on it. Um, I, I certainly felt that there were certain instances where I absolutely had to be on on site to perform some of the work that we do in Two Harbors, particularly in the in the case for quality uh, voluntary improvement program. Um, but I've I've had to shift my thinking on a lot of that. Um, you know, for an, for example, uh, coming into it in, in March for a, a brand new site into the program, I would have said. You, no, we have to hold on those. We absolutely have to do those on site because so much of it is about being in the room and building that culture of trust and getting past the audit mentality with organizations. Um, but uh, everybody's capabilities, be it and and that I mean, uh, the technology capabilities, the the comfort level. Um, you know, seven months ago, it was a challenge. I think for a lot of folks to just be able to have their camera on. There'd be people that are like, no, I don't want to do that. It, it, so everybody has just, they, they've gone through some sort of adoption curve uh, in light of this entire uh, difficult experience. And we've gotten a lot better at using this virtual stuff, these tools and, and just how we present ourselves and and uh, how we present our work. Uh, and certainly I, I agree. It would be kind of foolish, I think, to go back to the old way of thinking on it for, for all things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. I, I think there's, I, I think when, you know, all, all the the restrictions and bans and all those sorts of things, uh, you know, are lifted, you know, when the time is right, uh, you know, what I anticipate is that there will be sort of a hybrid. I mean, to your point, yeah. some things are just, you know, they're just better, um, you know, certainly from an audit inspection or, or from a, an appraisal perspective to be there in person um, versus, you know, just watching it on, on a video or, or, you know, reading a document. So I, I, I would expect the model to evolve, hopefully, you know, here before too long to be kind of, a, you know, the best of both worlds, leverage the technology, the virtual aspects, but also, you know, being able to, to be on site for some of the key critical uh, processes and, and, and activities as well. So I think a hybrid would be the best of both worlds. So you mentioned in all of that, you mentioned the standard that um, organizations that um, or manufacturers that uh, deal with devices outside of the U.S. that they have to adhere to 1345. Um, you mentioned that. I, I think we'd have to definitely have an eye at looking at 2021. Is this the year that we actually see 1345 uh, start to replace 820? Is this the year that we start to see it? Um, yeah, I think we start to see it. Um, in 2021. I mean, uh, I, I remember the first time that I heard that someone from FDA, you know, somebody relatively high up the food chain at FDA speak in a, at an industry event about the transition. I, I like, uh, I almost spit my coffee out because, <laughs> uh, um, and I thought that I misheard uh, the person. So I nudged the guy next to me. I'm like, hey, did, did he just say this? And like, yeah. Uh, so I think it was a little shocking in the first time that that came out, um, you know, because, you know, in the history of, of 820 and 1345, I mean, I mean, FDA has al almost always been very sacrosanct that they don't, you know, it's not that they don't care, but, you know, this is sort of the impression. I don't care if you're 1345 certified, we're 820 and this is the law, you know, 
it's not quite that, that um, I exaggerate a little bit on that, but um, to hear that there was this movement, it was very encouraging, frankly, because I think this creates um, the fact that there is an 820 and a 1345. Uh, it, it can create some confusion for folks. Now, I, uh, when the 2016 version of, of 1345 came out, I was thrilled because, you know, if you compare the, the, the requirements of 820 against 1345, you know, sort of side by side, the 2016 version has done an amazing job at closing some of the gaps or the differences between the two. Now, there are still some here and there, um, but, but I think, you know, it, it, as a medical device company, we have uh, a lot of obstacles and challenges that, that we're trying to figure out. And, you know, this, this uh, maybe it's utopian thinking, but this, this notion of, of harmonization, it sounds really awesome from a medical device company perspective. And now I get that, you know, there are governments and regulatory agencies and, you know, all over the world that, that makes this very, very complicated and challenging. But, you know, the fact that FDA, now they've, they've repeated this message several times and, and, um, there was an article that I think it just came out like the past couple of days that has gone out to claim that we'll, we'll start seeing movement from FDA uh, uh, evolving the QSR towards 1345 as soon as February 2021. Now, uh, I th that seems aggressive, but I think we'll start to see some movement, but I'm not, I'm not sure what that means just yet. Sure. But for... Yeah, I, I guess certainly for the folks that are already dealing in the EU space, they're already very cognizant of 1345 and 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 working in that particular space their quality system might be um even set up to be you know you, you've for probably sure. seen the, yeah you've seen the quality manuals that are lined up exactly you know clause for clause sort of thing right but for the manufacturers in the u.s that have just had a focus on 820 uh it would certainly be in their best interest to start looking at at that particular standard for sure and, and you know and and i think i made this prediction a couple years ago um don't quote me on this, but but my uh, my my memory says that I did that when MDSAP, the single mm. audit program, yep, uh, you know, evolved or, or moved out of pilot and became more of a formal program. That seemed like such a like to me. It was like, oh wow, this is an obvious vehicle, if you will, uh, for for the, the agency to to actually lean in and to to better adopt 1345 and. Yeah, you know, I think there's still some some a lot of companies. Actually, surprisingly, a lot more companies, even smaller companies, have have chosen to go the MDSAP route than I would have anticipated. Um, but I think it's been a pretty successful program for for all intents and purposes. And and I, I suspect that you know I'm speculating here though that the success of that program has probably uh, been a factor and an influence on FDA as as to you know that this movement towards 1345. Sure. I mean, and, and I, I think I've heard you and some of your guests say on, on the Global Medical Device podcast that it's very in vogue. The, the agency seems to be increasingly taking a view at things of um, from a risk pro profile. And, you know, certainly if they have an organization that is uh, in the MDSAP program and, and they've successfully gone through one of those, they p potentially represent less risk. Right. They, they've been kind of pre-cleared. Um, yeah. and, and so I, I can see why the agency would go that route um, it, as well. But I, I, th I think it's, you know, in large part, too, I think it's related to a lot of the work that you've been doing and, and the two harbors team 
in conjunction with case for quality initiatives. I, th I think that, you know, I don't know if it, if it's intentional. I mean, I, I'm, I'm as a, a med device person, I'm, I know that the the secretary of HHS and the head of FDA, you know, sometimes that changes, especially with different administrations and so on right. and so forth. But, yep. but I think we have a lot of stability in our industry with, with Dr. Sharon being head of CDRH for as long as he has, I think he has a vision uh, and, and a vision that is really about, you know, reminding folks that quality is of the utmost importance and, you know, like when I first read about the case for quality, I, I was, you know, getting a little bit shocked because I, you know, I grew up in this industry back in the, the late nineties, early two thousands. And, and the relationship between FDA and, and industry was very contentious. Um, you know, I remember sitting in a lot of inspections feeling like it was an interrogation and it's, frankly, it probably was many times. Um, but you know, when you hear when I started reading about this case for quality initiative, I'm like, wow, this is this is good. This is refreshing. This is this is a this is a good, really good program. And and I know you've you've had a lot of experience with that. And and I really, you know, I I want to encourage people. That, man, you got to check this out. Especially since they they sort of opened up the inclusion criteria recently. Um, I, I never remember the acronyms, but the VIP program you know, now gives a lot more companies the opportunity to participate. Oh, um, uh, th thank you. That That's great. And it's been a great uh, program for us to be in, involved in. I'm curious, just to kind of stay on this thread of where you see things going in 2021, that's a, something that's been in pilot for three years. Uh, do you have any insights or any thoughts as you read the tea leaves for 2021, where you think of programs like that, or maybe other um, other programs that the the agency's running, you know, maybe like digital health, where those things might be going mm -hmm. in 2021. Well, I mean, the the thing that's refreshing to me about Case for Quality uh, is it's really an opportunity for a company to um, measure their success in you know what is it a dozen uh, areas? I, I don't remember the exact. Yeah, it's about that. Yeah. A, yeah, about a dozen areas. Yep. but it's it, it's it's I'm comparing um, my my quality and it's quality is the ultimate measure, um, you know, uh, to, to sound a little cliche and to paraphrase what Dr. Sharon and others have said, you know, if I focus on quality, then compliance takes care of itself. And I, and I think for for so long in this industry, um, we've we've been conditioned to be compliance minded. And in doing so, uh, we don't always make the best decisions for the, the safety and efficacy of our products. And, and so to, to sort of shift that focus to being more quality oriented and, and to measure you know, my success as an organization across some key areas using a, a different methodology, one that's been proven embedded for, for decades now, uh, the, the CMMI model, uh, it's 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 a really it's a different take and you know it takes folks a little bit to get used to but but I see as companies start to adopt that that it's just um, it's just going to be it's just again I know it sounds cliche and you have data to to corroborate this I'm sure but it, in the end products will be safer they'll be more effective which in the end means that patients will benefit from that so I think as as we can continue to to spread the word about initiatives like Case for Quality and, and the appraisal program, uh, 
it's going to put the emphasis where it needs to be. I mean, sure, you know, adhering to 820, 1345, and what other regulations and EUMDR and all these sorts of things, that is important. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about ensuring that our, our products are as safe as they possibly can be. You know, we're trying to improve the quality of life. That's why we're in this industry. So, um, you know, I don't know uh, what the plans, I, I know 2020 has been kind of a weird year for you in the case for quality uh, team, but I hope that this starts to pick up some steam and momentum in 2021. Um, you know, the digital health is interesting too. Uh, that's another one of these exciting programs that, you know, when I started to learn about it, I was like, whoa, this is, this is a fresh approach, you know, let's, Let's, uh, you know, and I'm oversimplifying the digital health initiative and, and folks, the, there was an, an announcement from FDA, I think it was in September, where they've actually formally uh, created the Digital Health Center of Excellence. So it's its own entity within the agency, but it's, it's catching some momentum. And the focus is really about um, sort of certifying or qualifying development teams more so than specific products, making sure that they have best practices and, and you know, or, you know, documentation is important in all of these things, but they're really focusing on uh, making sure that best practices are in place uh, for software as a med device. So both are, you know, to me, they're, they're complementary initiatives, but there's some of the freshest thinking um, from FDA in my lifetime in this industry. And, and, you know, I, I have a glimpse into what's going on in a lot of other uh, parts of the world. It's the most progressive thought, thought leadership approaches in any other regulatory model in the world today too. So some really exciting programs. Yeah, that's, that that's, that's great. I, I think when you look at, I think when you look at the case for quality and you look at um, digital health, and then even the MDSAP program, I, I, again, I think um, when I step back and I look at the bigger picture of how the agency is is looking at the landscape, it's truly um, driving that principle that uh, I, there's a video out there of Dr. Shuren. It's like a three-minute video. I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes where he he says something to the effect of, it's not to say that compliance is not important, but it's not enough. Uh, so they're, they're truly driving that case for quality uh, in not just in the MDIC case for quality, but you see it in their adoption of things like MDSAP. You see it in their consideration of the entire uh, digital health pre-certification initiative. When you look at many of the programs that they have out there, they're truly trying to get their arms around that and get those attributes of, okay, great. You've demonstrated a check the box to 820. You know, okay, great. You, You have a DHF, but you know, more importantly, what are you doing to, um, to improve the quality of your products and services. Uh, that's not just helpful, helpful to you industry, but it, obviously it's important to uh, the, the end consumer, the patient. And, and, and that's what we're really all trying to get behind. Yeah. But, and it's, it's sort of ironic. I mean, if you think back to sort of the, the, uh, the um, thought leaders and modern quality, I mean, you go back to, yeah, uh, Deming and and Duran and, and folks like that. I mean, this is this is the message that they were uh, preaching. You know, gosh, long before I was born. Uh, you know, and and you know, to to finally see you know some of the you know I guess one could easily make the case that that those folks were were visionaries when it came to quality and 
and to finally see, you know, some of the visionary quality uh, thoughts and ideas and practices finding their way into the medical device industry. I mean, it's like, wow, it's about time. I mean, uh, not to say other industries aren't important, but I mean, for Christ's sake, we're developing medical devices, you know, come on. uh, And as certainly as my, you know, my, my parents are getting older and, and other family members and, you know, have had health issues and what have you. It's just like this, it's been real to me for a long time uh, on the importance of, of what I do and, and the importance of the medical device industry. But when it starts heading closer to home, it's like, wow, this is of the utmost importance, or at least I hope that it is for, for others out there in this space as well. Yeah. Um, so that, that makes me think, John, just as a sidebar, then you're one of those people in the family that when somebody has uh, some sort of medical procedure, you're, yeah. you're, ask, you're asking them like, well, you know, hey, who's the manufacturer of that hip replacement? And they look at you like, they're like, <laughs> yes. what? What? They don't. I'm like, well, come on. I need to know, you know, because you're, cause you're yeah. so tied into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, like I, I'll talk to you know family member and like, well, what, what do they say and what do they use? And was it this product or that product? I don't know. Like, and, and to me, it's like that, like that second nature, you know, like if, if I were, uh, you know, right. in need of some sort of procedure, I would ask all kinds of questions and, right. and, but yeah, I, I, was, I get that from time to time. Yeah. On the sidebar, I was cracking up because, you know, like, it, it seems like people like can get really, like, it's really important what brand of car they have, but, but. They, they may not know the brand of pacemaker that's in their chest. You know, it's like, I know. That's, that's kind of I amazing know. to me. Yeah. I, I, um, I had a friend that actually uh, had a, a pacemaker put in and, and, you know, I, I pepper them with all those questions and he's like, uh, I, I, I don't know. And then, um, you know, he, he went and did the research and came back and, you know, I, I don't know if he appreciated that I sent them all this information back <laughs> about that particular model of pacemaker. And, and uh, you didn't send him adverse events, did you? No, I, 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 what one, there was not adverse events associated with that one that, okay, that's uh, good. That's yeah. good. But, um, you know, the, there, there's always information that you can pick up, you know, all over the place. And, I, but I think it was a bit overwhelming to, to the, to the person. So I think, but people I think just, it's important. Yeah. I th- but I think it's important. I think, I think, uh, a lot of folks, they just, I mean, uh, you know, the, the doctors are important. Don't mishear me, but back in the day, I mean, we would go to, to our, uh, uh, general practitioner. And, and a lot of times that, that person was, you know, a family friend or, you know, certainly knew family history and, and certainly knew my entire patient history, everything about me, you know, might've been there when I was delivered and, uh, you know, might've been the doctor delivering me, you know, and, and knew everything about my, my mother and my father and so on and so forth. And, you know, in today's world and, and the way healthcare is, that's, that's not really, that's rarely, rarely the case. So, right. you know, we, as, as the, as the patient, as the human need to take a much more uh, involved role in our own well-being and, and our own healthcare. And, and I think a lot of times though, that we haven't been conditioned or, or taught that way, but I think we have, it's really important for us to, to start to evolve and learn how important it is to take ownership in our own health. John, so we've hit on a bunch of things for 2021, and I, I certainly value your time. Um, and before we come to the end here, because I'm going to write down some odds on some of these things, like you know the likelihood of 13.5. Right. I'll push you for that kind of stuff. But are, any All other right. any other significant predictions for 2021? Well, um, th- there's still an interesting pilot program that um, I-, I had forgotten about until I had a, a conversation recently with with Mike Drews. I, I know you know know Mike. Um, decently well. 
but he reminded me that there's still a, a pilot program, a joint program between uh, FDA and CMS uh, with respect to, you know, reimbursement and that sort of thing. So for the life of me, I'm like, man, that uh, so many people forget about reimbursement or, or they don't think about it soon enough in, in the, the, the quest to bring new products to market. So I, I don't have a prediction here, but man, I wish that that became um, more uh, common within our, our industry too, that there was more collaboration between CDRH and, and CMS. So, you know, I hope that that pilot program starts to get some more visibility and starts to be, become more commonplace, but I, I don't think it's, it's widely known or I don't no, know I, a lot of folks that are even I, aware of that. I, I'm guilty as charged. I, you know, I'm, I'm not even yeah. clear as to, and I'm not surprised that Drew knows it. Cause that, that guy, he knows is, everything, man. He knows everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what's the, uh, what's the basis of the pilot? Um, so th- th- my understanding of it is that, it's a parallel path as you're, you're getting your device cleared through FDA that you're also, uh, you know, addressing the reimbursement needs of, of CMS uh-huh. in parallel rather than this being a, a serial process. It's more of a parallel process. So last I heard there had only been like maybe a handful of companies that have even gone through that. And, you know, they're, they're the biggest of big companies and I don't have a lot of intimate details about it, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'll try to find a, you know, a, a blurb about it and, and send it over to you. Maybe it can go into the show notes as well. Yeah, but, absolutely. But I think that's a, I think that would be a program that would be really exciting for a lot of folks in our space, because like I said, it, you know, a lot of times folks aren't super aware of the importance of reimbursement uh, in, in the U.S. model, but it is so crucial and you know, if you don't address it, it can cause significant delays to 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 your go to market, or or uh, mean yep. that your go to market is is going to be tremendously flat because you haven't addressed that reimbursement component. Sure, I mean it's the business end of the stick, and you you can't ignore yes, that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So, John, thank you so much for this. But before I let you go, tell us a little bit about what's going. What if for the people that have not heard your podcast and they don't know what this sure. green light guru is. Give us a give us a little bit about what what you do at Greenlight Guru and what Greenlight Guru does. Sure, I'd be happy to. So, so Greenlight Guru, we have the only medical device quality management system software platform on the market. Um, what, what makes us really unique is we've designed uh, this is a, a cloud-based SaaS platform, uh, but it's designed specifically and and only for medical device companies. So, all the things that George and I have talked about today, EUMDR. 820, 1345, audits, inspections, things of that nature, post-market surveillance. Um, it's all built into to intentional workflows uh, within the application that embrace and, and pull in the regulatory thinking and best practices and terminology. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it, it makes life easier as a medical device professional. The way I often describe the, the Greenlight MDQMS is it's it's guardrails. Um, it gives you a lot of flexibility, uh, but also you know lets you know you know where you need to stay between in order to to you know navigate your journey to bring products to market and manage total product lifecycle and quality events. So you know certainly uh, you know our hundreds and hundreds of customers from around the globe are gaining a lot more efficiency. Life is much easier for them especially navigating audits and inspections, especially uh, in, in current times with virtual audits and inspections. But just it's just giving them time back so they can actually focus on being medical device professionals rather than 
doing low or no value uh, ad activities, like the updating spreadsheets and spending, you know, in, inexorbitant amount of time doing trivial things that, that don't contribute to the value and the quality of the products that they're developing. Awesome. You know, I, for the folks that are listening, if you've not heard of Greenlight, and you know, even if you're not in the market for an, an EQMS, and and I've seen the I've seen the Greenlight tool, I, I think it's pretty cool. But even if you're not in that space where you're like, look, I, I I don't need one of those right now, you should definitely navigate over to Greenlight because what John and the um the the team that he has there, what they've built, and and you call them Greenlight gurus, what they've built over there in terms of a repository of uh, articles, a, a whole wealth of information. Uh, it is pretty much a one-stop shop, I think, for so much that's going on. There's so many guides there, like you know, how, how to deal with your, your next FDA inspection to what you should have in a DHF. I mean, there's both for the novice, I think, to the expert uh, in, in medical device. I think it's, it's a great place to go. And again, if you have not tuned in, if you've tuned into this podcast and you've not yet tuned into the Global Medical Device podcast, you, you need to recalibrate because John, <laughs> John's stuff is way, 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 way better. And again, John, I can't thank you enough for being on. And, and uh, you are uh, an inspiration to this podcast. And I do look forward to continuing to to have chats like this uh, with you and see if see if these predictions that you've made for 2021 come true. At least in a year, I'm going to hold you to the, your feet to the fire all right. if they all came down. That sounds good, George. And, and thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And folks, you know, George is being very humble and modest. That's, that's how George Zach is. You know, he knows his stuff and the two Arbors team is amazing to work with. And, you know, they're experts in case for quality and, and the medical device uh, appraisal program. And it's, it, if you haven't heard of that, you need to be contacting George and the two Harbors team to learn more because this is just a, a different, refreshing, best practice way to, to run your business as a medical device company. So you definitely need to check him out too. Oh, thanks, John. That's kind of you. And I'll, I'll enjoy editing the, the compliment parts out after the fact. But, yeah, so, <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. You have been listening to the Two Harbors Consulting Podcast. Again, we're always looking for improvement. Uh, on uh, We'd like to hear your improvement stories. But uh, if you have any suggestions for topics or how we can improve this podcast, please weigh in. There'll be contact information in the show notes and hope to talk to you soon.